gets up late for work Mother has to iron his shirt Then she sends the kids to school Sees them off with a small kiss She's the one they're going to miss in lots of ways I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far, cause a man with the touch truck repossessed my car. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Standing on the front stoop, hanging out the window, watching all the cars go by, roaring as the breezes blow. That's the look, that's the look, the look of September 1st, 2022, and you are listening to the Combing the Stacks music podcast. I am one of your three hosts, John, joined as always by my intrepid co-hosts, Matt and Josh. Today we have a cold listen, hot take, our format in which we listen to six albums. Uh, we do not do a full bio for the albums, just a little bit of context bio, and so you pretty much get pure reaction as our take for these albums. And it is usually a grab bag of styles and genres, which is one of the things that we love about it, and is definitely the case this week, because we have six very unique albums. 
Um, as a reminder, before I check in with the co-hosts, you can always check out our YouTube clips on the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast. We are doing some quality control on a couple <laughs> clips recently. One had no sound. One, I accidentally put two different segments in one. Uh, our listeners have been great about flagging them for me, and I will do my best when I return from our long weekend trip, uh, my long weekend trip, to try to clean up those uh, two episodes as well as put up these segments from um, the last two episodes as well. Uh, you can also listen to the full-length podcast on 15 different platforms, basically all the big ones. You can just search for the Combing the Stacks Music podcast. All right, enough of the advertising out of the way. Let's check in with the co-hosts before we go into the, the coldest of uh, uh, listens and the hottest of takes. Josh, how are you, bud? Good. I'm glad to hear that people are listening to the YouTube segments. That means that if people are spotting errors, people are actually listening. So that's good. Yeah, man, the YouTube is our greatest reach. And we do have a very positive fan community on YouTube, I have to say, because we do not have a dumpster fire comment board. Um, okay. And people are very respectful. And especially since we've gotten into the 80s, I think we have a lot of people who uh, listen to the music real time, you know, who uh, have connected to it, but also have been given good context. And um, maybe unlike some folks in other decades who took it a little bit more personal, if we were lukewarm on albums, they're, they're more open to the <laughs> conversation. The Joni Mitchell and Bee Gees fans of the world. Van Morrison comes to mind as well. Yeah. Bee Gees, yeah. Joni Mitchell. Yeah, there are a couple. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, it's a great respectful crowd. So uh, thank you very much for listening. But yes, um, and, and keep listening. Uh, and you just heard Matt in the background there. Matt, how are you? I'm good. Uh, full disclosure, I had to look up what Intrepid meant because I wasn't quite sure. Um, oh, okay. And John called us, Josh, he called us fearless and adventurous, um, often used for rhetorical or humorous effect. So well, a little tongue true. That's yeah. an apt word. <laughs> I, I used it correctly, right? I, I, I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I, I didn't pull out a yeah. $20 word there to... Yeah, you words know, are not incorrectly. my forte, so um, I have to look them <laughs> what up. What is now. your forte? I don't really have one. I'm, I am a, uh, I, I, I have, yeah, I have. Um, I, I'm interested in a variety of things, but I'm a master of none of them. So, uh, okay, you know, I, so that's you how I describe read, but myself. That's about the extent of it. I can read, yeah, and I'll read a lot of different stuff, but uh, how much I'll be able to really extrapolate upon it or give deep, meaningful insight—that's up for debate. Your forte is variety and mediocrity, it sounds that's like. Right. That. Is that, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Hey, there's that's, not many of us, so, so I got to represent something. There we go. So that's your brand. You know, it's the ask question, what's your personal brand? Variety and mediocrity mm-hmm. in, a, in an outgoing package. <laughs> that'd, be a good, that'd be a good name for an album. <laughs> or our podcast, Variety right. and Mediocrity. <laughs> Hopefully that's not what <laughs> this cold list and hot take is tonight. So, okay, well... In these episodes, also, we don't spend as much time uh, chewing chewing the fat, so to speak, before we get into album reviews, because we do have six of them. So we are, I think, going to go directly into our first review. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit, because normally we start with either Matt or Josh. I'm going to start tonight, but before I do, I'm going to have Matt read the numbers for our first album, which is uh, The Band Madness, our second time covering them. Uh, we're going to be covering Presents the Rise and Fall is the name of the album. So Matt, mm. take it away. So Madness's The Rise and Fall comes in at 946 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 100 in 1982, number 6,193 of all time. It's Madness's third highest rated album um, behind the first one, which is uh, One Step Beyond, which is an album that we covered 
mm-hmm. oh, a little while back, and mm-hmm. an album called Absolutely from 1980, which we are not covering. Um, it did not make Rolling Stones list. There's only one album tonight that made Rolling Stones list. This is not that one. Um, Madness is also ranked number 903 of all time of overall artist rankings in best ever albums. Um, John, how do we get this album? Where is this coming from? Thousand and one albums, my friend. Okay. Yep. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, I guess, is um, not on there. So, yeah. I told um, Matt, I think last week, when he said, yeah. ooh, good, some more ska. I said, I don't know, Matt. I don't think this is going to be ska. I'm pretty, no. pr- pretty much after the first two Madness albums, Madness goes in a different direction. Yeah. Um, and I think this album probably is most known for containing Our House, which is certainly the biggest hit that they had in America. By far. Yeah, Yeah, it's really the only hit, unless you were in the genre, right? Now, in Britain, they had considerably more top 10 hits, right? And a a couple different songs we covered on One Step Beyond, and then um, uh, a couple songs also um, on their second album as well. So there was stuff there. But um, this uh, Baggy Trousers, I always think of from their second album, is like a big hit in Britain. But um, yet this is much more akin, and I do... I mean, I don't think I'm going out on a limb, and I have a feeling both of you guys were going to get to the same spot. But um, this this is clearly like inspired to some degree by the Kinks, I think, um, in mm-hmm. terms of the co- the nature of it as a concept album and the title, right, and just the overall sonic palette. And you know, not surprisingly, I go in to try to get a little bit of context of the album without, as I said before, not allowing it to affect my notes so i make notes on the album for these cold list and hot takes before i do it but yeah it comes up often that um i think often i read that this is sort of the british album that's between like the kinks village green preservation and like blur later park life which is another slice of english life type album that we'll be covering in the 90s Uh, and that's really what this is this is just it's kind of a, a genre crapshoot, I think, but more like pop songs that sort of talk about British life in 1982. I think one of the interesting things is I, I always think of the music from Britain, a lot of it, right? Either being in the late 70s and early 80s, I say, either being very aggressive, you know, and dark and dour. And we've covered a lot of that stuff, right, so far, like, you know, the industrial stuff. Um, the punk and, and stuff like that, even some of that, or sort of being escapist, like, um, you know, new romantic, right, or new wave stuff like that. This kind of is more nostalgic, I'd say, and definitely grounded in pop. Um, mm-hmm. Madness is always an interesting band for me because I, and I did say in the One Step Beyond, they're, um, of all the ska bands, I, I feel like they're less a ska band. And so I don't really call them a ska band. They just happen to make a very ska first album, I'd say, that got lumped in with a movement. But I always felt like they were movement adjacent, so to speak. Um, I, the album was hit and miss for me. There were some songs, Our House is, a, is a, just a tremendous pop song. And that's a, there's a reason it crossed over so well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other songs on this album that I thought were really interesting concepts. Um, you can't listen to Madness without hearing the horns, I think more than almost any other band in that era. I, it's almost impossible for me to detach them from the sounds of sort of the working class horns, <laughs> I'd say that they have in there. Um, and the songs usually build to a very earnest chorus, I would say uh, is another staple of them. Uh, it's a lot of neighborhood songs, like talking about the neighborhood. I mean, it, as literally as Primrose Hill and Our House at different times. Um, 
I, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I've got more to say on it. I'd, I'd say in terms of as an initial um, hot take, I'd say I was kind of in the middle because there were through lines of the album that were a little bit overly nostalgic to me. I, I'll be interested to see what like Matt thinks and, and Josh thinks because I know they were higher on the version of the Kinks that was the Village Preservation version. Arthur especially. I think Matt loved Arthur, right? And I was kind of hit and miss on Arthur. I like mm-hmm. Village Preservation, but I, I kind of like different versions of the Kinks better. Um, I don't know if the Kinks through the prism of horns and some of the stuff Matt doesn't like is going to connect with them as much. And you know what, Matt? I've set the table for you. Why don't you go second? What were your thoughts on this album? All right. So um, first of all, I like this better than Ska. So um, I appreciate that. Because um, it's not Ska. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's not Ska. In any, there's nothing Ska on this entire well, album. No, yeah. their first album was. That's yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. I, yes. like this oh, yes, better, yes, yes. I like this better than the Ska that they were doing um, on their first album. This album, I, I really struggled just trying to get a read on this album the whole week. Mm-hmm. I This album is might be the definition of a thumbs in the middle album okay. for me, mainly because I don't, I don't really know what to make of this. I absolutely got the kinks out of this. I got some Beatles out of this too. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, hearing that initially thinking, oh, I think I might really like this album. And the more I listened to it, the more I just felt okay on. I didn't really find myself gravitating strongly in any one direction. I think there were a couple of parts. Um, I think it's, what is it? Mr. Mr. Speaker gets the world. There's something about that, the horn parts of that, which was kind of a cool uh, a, a unique part. Um, That's the most that I liked like there. What they sounded like on their first album. That really, yeah. There's just song, something yeah. about mm-hmm. the the the, progre- the the chord progression with that I really liked, and um, I just I don't know. I listened to it plenty of times, um, and I just I don't know if I ever really got to the point where I was like I really like this or I you know, really dislike this. It's kind of just there. There's a lot of, you mentioned horns, John. Yes. That's all over the place. There's a lot of piano on here too. There's a lot of like just banging on the piano and there's strings too. So it's, it's, it's a very creative record and it's, it, it's definitely interesting. Um, but it, I just find it really strange to, to, to just kind of, kind of come out of this with, (laughs) without a strong feeling one way or the other. It's just, it's, it's there. It's like I said, it, it, yeah. Do you think the Britishness of the album is part of the barrier? Because it's, it's a very possi- British album. Yeah, it's possible. I don't. I don't necessarily know if I came out of this going, man, this is this is too British for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It was more of just like, yeah, there's a lot of. I, I think it's interesting. I think it's creative. I think it's unique, and I came out with all those things. But I, it also ended up just being there for me. So um, I. I, and I don't know if more listens would help me with this. I, maybe more intent listens because this was, I think, I, this is a frustrating thing for me. This was an album that this was another one of those records that you could not listen to on Spotify or Apple Music for whatever reason. Because there's other Madness albums on Spotify, right? Mm-hmm. The last one we listened to was on there. All the other ones were too. But the, I had to listen to this on YouTube. And if I was listening to it while I was like what I do a lot of times when I'm outside walking my dog or whatever... Um, I have to keep, I can't like, I can't put my phone on sleep. Cause when you do that, then the music <laughs> goes away. And then, so the screen is open to it. And then if I accidentally touch it, it skips the song. I get all the ads. So it's also a very frustrating listen for me because I could just listen to it. Cause it's just on this, I'm using this YouTube app that, 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 that's not ideal. So, um, I think that was a small thing to do with it, but, um, maybe with the fact that I wasn't able to get that 
listen to it that intently. But I just, yeah, I definitely heard the kinks in there, and I do like the kinks, but um, I, I can't really say that I love this record. It was, It's fine, and um, you know, maybe I need to kind of just sit down with it by itself, not touch the phone and just let it happen. Um, but uh, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely thumbs in the middle here. It's a step up from their their first record for me. I know it's probably not for you guys because I know you like Scott a lot. But uh, it's, it, but but I I appreciate the fact that they're doing something totally different too. Because I think that's got to be probably difficult for an artist to do. Is just be like, all right, now we're going to do something totally different, and um, and that takes guts and it takes uh, creativity and and talent. And and these guys certainly have that. But uh, as, as far as like from my own personal standpoint, it didn't really resonate with me um, that strongly. So thumbs in the middle for me. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I don't really have a, a hot take on this. Unfortunately, it sounds like I have similar feelings. Um, I, I, it didn't really resonate with me at all. Uh, it, unlike the kinks, which I also thought of listening to this, which hooked me right away with with their songs and their melodies and their writing um this this didn't do that for me i i like the madness when they were sky i think more than what this is i think they're yeah, definitely tr- they're they're definitely trying for something which i respect and uh, like you said john maybe the britishness of it is something that um is keeping me at bay i i didn't read the lyrics when i listened to it maybe that would have helped um it's not necessarily a fact of having to relate to what they're doing. I think the music itself just wasn't strong enough for me to, to, um, to make an impact. Uh, they do seem to, like you guys said, there is a variety of things they're trying on here. There's definitely some jazz elements. I think they're incorporating. Uh, I did like the variety of instruments, the, uh, the, you guys didn't mention the uh, incorporating of Eastern music or, Mm-hmm. kind of world music sounds you know going hearkening back to the beatles and everything else that use that uh, so they're trying for that as well i think that's appropriate probably to also you know uh immigration in britain there's a large obviously a large indian uh population in the uk because of colonization and the uh, or former colonization and um so that was interesting, but for whatever reason, all these elements didn't congeal for me as much. And there wasn't really even that strong of uh, singles outside of our house, which is far yeah. and away the the yeah. best song. I didn't. There wasn't even. I think the other song, other singles, "Tomorrow's Just Another Day," yeah, and that was okay. But there wasn't really anything on here that I felt like was a deep cut or like some secret thing that I would want to put on a playlist or something it, there it just kind of fell flat for me overall yeah they actually had some other I had a total madness back in the day their greatest hits album and they're another one of the bands that a couple of their best songs are not on an album hmm. um, so they had a song like uh, it must be love which was a, a very good I all I could think of was that it wasn't on this album and it would have fit nicely on this album and been that second single, Josh, that you were looking for. Mm, okay. Because they've got some songs this era like House of Fun and It Must Be Love and later they do uh Wings of a Dove, which I always remember from uh Ten Things I Hate About You. It's like oh. a very like operatic song, you know, mm-hmm. when when they're 
sort of Heath Ledger and Julia Stiles are sort of courting, right? You know, you hear, and it's almost like operatic kind of that song. So they, it, there's definitely an ambition mm. with Madness mm-hmm. at this point. Now, whether or not that ambition always succeeds, right, is it a question left to the listener, right? And for me, I do think, Matt, you made a good point. The biggest difference of this album, besides the obvious pop shift from earlier, is mm-hmm. the piano, which was yeah. around in the first album a little bit, but here it's right there with the horns yeah. as the second instrument. And yeah, this is a way more piano-driven album than One Step Beyond is. Um, and I think you know probably where my hierarchy would be on this yeah. one um, in terms yeah. of listen. But yeah. yeah, and I think it's interesting that Our House, I agree, It's it's. I, I really like that song. And it's one of those songs that I've known for so many years. It's just been there. And it's probably for years and years, I didn't even know who sang it. It's just a song that was on a commercial or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so I always knew the chorus, but what I really liked is the verses. Cause I think the verses are actually the best part of the song. I think the chorus is fine, but I like the verses, like the way that the chord progression and the way that that, that flows with the horns and the piano playing and stuff. I think that that's the stronger well, and that part of the breakdown, song, actually. That breakdown and the breakdown's good too. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of like, yeah. oh, that's how the song goes, you know, cause I just knew the chorus cause that's all they play. Like, yeah, really in snippets for commercials or whatever that I hear it from. So, uh, so that was, yeah, I, I agree. I, that's, that's a pretty strong song. I did like that. Okay. Yeah. Getting to something you said too, John, that there's been a lot of British bands that, I mean, we talked about it last week with um, New Order. Yes, New Order. Their singles don't go onto the albums that Americans hear that get released, and they're completely separate entities. And that would never happen nowadays. I feel like. Well, and, we did. We did Joy Division for both yes. albums, right? And we didn't even do Love Will Tear Us Apart, which is by far their yeah. biggest hit. Right. Yeah, I was <laughs> surprised. I kept albums. waiting. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, it's yeah. not on the first one. Oh, it must be on the second one." And then it the wasn't. The Smiths are like that too. I mean, the yeah. Smiths have so many great second singles that louder than bombs where they're all collected is considered an album on best ever albums and it's basically a novel album so yeah i guess i thought when we were doing the 60s and that happened a lot with the who and the beatles and the stones that that was like oh that's just a thing that happened in the 60s but no that's certainly carrying over into the 80s too yeah you would think they would want to put those on an album when they sell it to I think America. the idea well, is... this album didn't even get released in America. So what are we talking about? Right. They didn't have a record company at yeah. this point. They didn't get a record company until the next one, I think. I think I think part of the reason they did that was to sell more, you know, because you yeah. get, you know, you, if you sell the album and then if you want the single, then you got to buy the single too, mm. you know? So it, yeah. it, it, I think it was a marketing ploy as uh, well. I've often heard sometimes the back ends were things the record company didn't think were marketable, but they liked and they believed in. So sometimes they'd stick it as a single and their guess would be right. That was another thing I think that happens sometimes. Or like Joy Division, which they they sold the Blue Monday single in a really expensive sleeve and they didn't think it right. would sell and then it just cost them a shit ton of money. So there's yeah. they they sometimes don't expect it, I guess. You know, it's like Icarus. You reach for the, <laughs> you reach yeah. for the sun yeah. and sometimes the wax melts. So yeah. Yeah. I so wonder I, too, didn't yeah. you say, John, that I, obviously the Madness were much more popular in Britain than yes. in America. Well, and to I, give... I was going to say, have we, have we talked about a band that has, that has been so popular in Britain that has resonated with us? Maybe the Kinks, but like a band that was more popular in Britain than America. Yeah, but that we all liked and thought should have been a bigger thing. Uh, I can't. Well, I'm trying to think of what are the British, the the definitively British bands that didn't have an. The Jam comes to mind, right? Which I don't know if any of us 
fell in the category of like hardcore right. fan, right? Mm-hmm. The Kinks would fall in that, and I think we all like the. Kinks. I guess the Buzzcocks, maybe. Yeah, I was the thinking Buzzcocks, the Buzzcocks. Yeah, something and we like did that. all love that. But then there were the like, British bands that 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 did very well here, like you know the Stones, the Beatles, the Clash. You Oasis, know, that still did. Right. Yeah, Oasis, Led right? Zeppelin. Yeah. But Blur. Oh, if we're perf- talking later, there's a lot. Yeah. Blur is a perfect example of a band that I knew nothing about outside of Song mm-hmm. Two, and they seem to be in this vein of what you were saying of being very British, describing British life, and mm-hmm. and being much more popular over there than. Well, and there's more bands in the 80s that are going to be like the Happy Mondays comes to mind, right? Like another band that was big in Britain, but not as big. The Pogues, mm-hmm. right? I think they're Scottish or Irish. I can't remember which, but so there, there is that lane. You know, just like there's bands that are big in America that really don't travel outside of America. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say thumbs in the middle for this one for yeah. me. Um, yeah. Maybe even slightly leaning a touchdown because just nothing really hooked me at the level where it invited more re-listens than what i did so yeah yeah and maybe that's what that's what it comes down to even though it sounds like the kinks the kinks had better songs you know it goes down to songwriting or just melody or Mm -hmm. uh, production perhaps i don't know but it did that that certainly they certainly resonated more with me than this yep yeah it wasn't an album that i wanted to re-listen to or felt like there was something there that i was missing or wanting to discover uh, it just kind of, I ran through and I was like, okay, that was all right. Um, okay. But, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That puts a bow on madness. We are now going to move to segment number two, which I believe will be uh, started with Matt. So he'll both run the yep. numbers and give us uh, the initial take. All right. So we've got Dire Straits with their 1982 album, Love Over Gold. Comes in at number 105 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 10 in 1982, number 687 of all time. It's Dire Straits' fourth highest rated album on Best Ever Albums um, behind uh, number one, which is Brothers in Arms. We're going to cover that in a couple of episodes, I believe. Uh, Making Movies from 1980. We've covered that in a cold listen. And then there's the self-titled Dire Straits from 1978, which we did not cover. Uh, This record is not on uh, Rolling Stone's list. And Dire Straits is ranked number 127 of all-time artists on Best Ever Albums. Uh, This also, uh, so John, was this just, where did this, was this, uh, where'd we get this one from? I, this is another 1001 album. 1001. I okay. Yep. Um, so this is the album of all the ones that we did this week. This is by far the one that I've known the best. This is the only Dire Straits album that I've ever owned. And um, I I love this record. And the main reason that I own this album is because of the opening track, Telegraph Road, which is my favorite Dire Straits song. Uh, what a track that is. I just love everything about it. It's just, it's 14, it's over 14 minutes long. I actually am looking at Wikipedia here. They're kind of, they're throwing this under the uh, genre of progressive rock, which I guess that song could fall under. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I would say <laughs> no doubt it's and a I, progressive rock and song. And I never thought of that before, maybe because it's it's just it's probably more of a straight a straightforward progressive rock song it's just long right it's not like weird time signatures or or like drastic changes it's just, there's some changes in here um you know particularly from like the verses that they do in the chorus in the beginning um 
And then the, the the big instrumental parts, right? The jam that they do, particularly at the end, which just builds and builds and builds. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of that stuff's right in my wheelhouse. It's you know, it's I, I and again, you're talking about Mark Knopfler's guitar tone, which is just awesome. Like the more I'm listening to these guys, the more I just really appreciate his guitar playing and the production that's that's behind the uh, the songs that they have. Um, so in Telegraph Road, I remember I remember listening to that once. My dad, we've talked about him before. He's not. He's not a music guy really at all. And I remember we were driving home somewhere, whatever, we're coming home from someplace and it was night and I and I had this I was like I put this on the 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 the, the, the car radio. And even like towards the end, my dad just turned to me and goes, Man, this is really good. I'm like, Yeah, it is. Like, you know, like if my I got my dad into it. So um so uh, I love that opening track. It's yeah, it's it's great. And then you get this is just such an interesting record. The second track, Private Investigations, which I'm looking here on Wikipedia, that was a that was the lead single, which hmm. is such a fascinating single for me because it's not it's such a interesting, unique, different song. It's very God, you can barely hear parts of it, you know, in the beginning. It's just so quiet. There's this, like, Spanish guitar that's just, you know, um, yep. it's very pretty. Mark Knopfler's not even singing. He's just talking through it, right? And then they kind of do a little bit of that part, you know, um, and then it just goes into this weird it's, – it's, it's, it's a breakdown. It's a weird way to put it because there's barely any sound. It's just like a bass, a bass drum and then like a marimba or something. And then all of a sudden they'll just bang out a guitar chord, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, and then the piano comes in and it's, it's such a, it's not something that I would consider that something that you would normally hear on the radio, but it's really, it's a really cool song. It's very restrained at parts, but then they just, there's like an explosion of sound as well towards the end. Um, just a cool song overall. And then, and then, you know, the second half of the record, Industrial Disease is the other single. That's probably my least favorite song on here, but I still like it. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of got that, but that's the other single. And you can kind of see, you know, where that's coming in as being something that's a little bit more radio friendly. It's got this weird, um, I don't know. It's kind of goofy. It's kind of goofy. The, 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 the way that the court, the, the song is set up, you know, um, his voice, uh, and there's some instrument on there. I don't know. There's something that's fuzzed out that sounds a little kind of goofy or whatever. Um, there's some organ lo- on there too, or piano yeah, it's or like, something. It's like there. a wee, but then there's some effect on it that's just kind of, you know, different. Um, but and then "Love Over Gold" is a really pretty ballad, and then "It Never Rains" is a, is another great. It's a great closing track. I love the way it ends. It's just it's a great jam. It rocks out. It builds. Um, I don't know, man. I love this record. This is there's no duds on here. This is just a really. It's only five tracks. It's 41 minutes long, so there's definitely some longer tracks on here. But uh, I, this is a really cool band. I'm looking forward to listening to Brothers in Arms because I know the hits on that, but I maybe not the deeper cuts as much. And probably I want to go back to listen to other Dire Straits stuff because these guys are. I don't know. There's something special about them. There's something very unique and uh, and interesting. Great musicianship. Really cool sounds. Production. Um, songwriting. And I'm a big fan of this i'm thumbs up thumbs up on this i'm in the middle on this one again i feel like that's going to be a theme this week for me on these albums but this this was a a dense uh album for me to unpack uh it you said you know you listened to this at night that one time matt and that story you told me and i feel like this is the perfect album to listen to at night Mm -hmm. there's something nighttime feeling about it yep um either with the way he plays the guitar just kind of the way the songs are laid out um that's that's a vibe i got from it i this you didn't mention there's only five songs on that on this album so i said it okay so it feels 
in that sense, it feels proggy as well. They're really trying to create some sort of story through this. I, I kind of liken this album to like a really long book that is like, you know, dense with information and character building and, you know, interiority of the characters and things like that. That's kind of how I felt from song to song on this. I feel like it was really trying to each song was trying to tell this kind of epic story through music and i i wasn't always um, able to follow along with it in some respect there's a melancholiness to this album mm-hmm. too i feel like that that was a feeling i uh, felt <laughs> listening to yep. it and i also you know i knew you were going to like this album map but i also got a lot of bob dylan in this album and a lot of uh a, a, there's some pink floyd in here as well that that it reminded me of mm-hmm. so i think those elements all incorporate and you know I've, I've always you know historically been kind of lukewarm on on pink floyd and certain bob dylan so the, i just didn't like this album as much as the previous dire straits album we listened to i think there's not the um you know, I, I like Mark Knopfler's guitar, but it's not uh, concise. Um, it's more operatic, I don't know, spread out, uh, languid in in certain respects, and the and the changes from within the song is very proggy. You know, the way it starts is completely different than the way it ends. There's not a lot of repeating choruses or even uh, motifs. They're, like you said too it's it's very bombastic at times or you know like things crash into the song like a lightning strike and then yep. disappear and so that kind of kept me off kilter as well um, there there's a lot of back and forth between the piano or the organ or whatever it is and the guitar I think uh, you know it, it pops up the piano will play a little guitar part or part and then the guitar will pop in and play something. And I guess maybe I was just hoping for more yeah. of kind of the, the 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 special nature of the way the Dire Straits songs um, write hooks or something. Uh, Do you want something a little more yeah. straightforward? Yeah, may, maybe so. And, and maybe I just wasn't in the right place for this type of long album, but it, it really didn't hit me in the same way that mm. the previous one did. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this is the second album I'd say that falls in the category of like a band that has a sound departing from the sound, I think, mm-hmm. by choice. Uh, we didn't cover the earlier ones, but I know some of the tracks on it, and I would imagine it's sort of the more straight-ahead rock, Josh. This seems yes. to me like they're yes. like, all right, we're going to make an ambitious album now, it's which a, is okay. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like, like in, their jam jam band album in some way. Yeah, it's... um. Industrial Disease and It Never Rains work best for me. Industrial Disease is definitely like an 80s song, so I'll start by saying that. There's some level mm-hmm. of, I think, a synthy sound and an 80s sound, and It Never Rains is there. Um, Private Investigations and Love Over Gold do not do it for me. I don't know if sort of a atmospheric, ambient sort of Dire Straits is how I want my <laughs> Dire Straits guitar tone to be given to me. I ambient. think Matt put it great. That's a good word, too. Yeah, I think, like, not ambient in, like, an Eno or, you know, real art rock way, but there's a lot of space in this album. I think that's yes. why you're getting the Pink Floyd yeah. vibe, mm-hmm. especially on Private Investigations and Lover of Gold. And I, I don't know. It just seemed like a mismatch of 
a genre with a skill set, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it makes total sense that Telegraph Road is Matt's favorite song by Dire Straits because it's it's like it sounds like the E Street Band. Like it's basically a Bruce Springsteen awesome. E Street Band song, <laughs> but spread out to like prog rock level length. Right. And so I don't just dis- the Telegraph Road's like many progress. It's like four different songs mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to say it's I-, I could never call that my favorite. I mean, when Dire Straits writes like Sultans of Swing, you know, it's, it's like mm-hmm. it's impossible for me to take songs that have guitar riffs like that undeniable and say, oh, I like the 14 minute song that kind of goes. <laughs> no, it's like I'm going to always in the same way Matt's going to always go for like the longer form version, I'm always going to go for that sweet, sweet, like hook or, or tasty mm-hmm. guitar. Well, so I, I don't know if I will always do it, but I will if it sounds like this. Yeah. But, um, my, well, same thing. It's like you could have a guitar riff and not have much else. And I don't know if I'll always love you, but, but, you're, but you're, Tele- yeah. Telegraph Sorry, Road works for me. That's okay. Telegraph Road works for me. Um, but, um, private investigations and love over gold were a slog. And when you know you're it's a slog and you're at six minutes and 46 seconds, it does wear on you a little bit. Um, I've often classified things as night albums on this podcast. Um, I can definitely see why you guys are saying that, and certainly the cover <laughs> between oh, yeah, the right. night vibe and the lightning bolt two things that you guys both, I think, without even realizing it, evoked right That's in the sound of this. A good point, yeah. Yeah, so I think it wasn't sort of, I think you guys got there honestly in terms of what they're going for. But um, yeah, this is a decidedly thumbs in the middle album for me once again. I, um, it doesn't rise to the level of an album that uh, I always, for me to get a thumbs up, it has to be something that I would explore it again. Um, I don't think I have a barrier to, this isn't a true prog rock so, like album, but I don't think... I have a barrier to prog rock, but I just don't know if you have to really be doing something interesting for me in prog rock at a level that this was not doing for me, I guess. And I think because now I've heard what the best of the best up to this point of that sound is or the best of the best of more ambient sounds and stuff. Like I said, it just it feels to me like someone trying on a costume where you can see that they're play acting a little bit as opposed to authentically wearing it mm-hmm. um and that's that's my takeaway for this album a little bit yeah, yeah. it's so interesting because i i definitely see like private investigations is I, I consider that to probably be the most proggy song on here because there's the most varied kind of stuff going on there but like mm-hmm. i don't know telegraph road it never rains their long songs but like it doesn't seem like I think of Prague and I think like time signature changes and really elaborate, um, you know, musical, you know, parts happening. And I, to me, those just seem like extended rock songs with a jam. You know, that's, I I think I, I look at that more as like a jam kind of thing rather than a Prague thing. So it's, and I see that, you know, uh, you know, I can see how people might describe it as that, but it's not, it's certainly not something that I thought of before coming into this episode, recording this tonight. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think, too, I remember when I first heard Private Invest, my brother had this album, like, when he was a kid, and I was, you know, and I remember him listening to it, and I remember Private Investigations going, like, what the hell is this? Like, there's no, where's the song, you know? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, there is a ton of space on that, but I think that my, I benefited this week from just knowing that song and 
um, and having grown to like it over years and years of, of listening to it, listening to this record. Um, I think one of the things when I first got this album, I knew Telegraph Road, that again, that's why I bought it, and I knew Private Investigations, but it was the other three songs that I didn't really know that well that I, when I listened to and I got the album, I was like, crap, this is really cool, especially It Never Rains. I really like that, the way that the album ends, but I, I get it. I, I don't know. I guess I like the, the longer jammy. I mean, that's kind of fits my musical mm-hmm. uh, taste Oof, a little right. bit more than you guys, so um, so I that makes sense but yeah i i, I don't know i i love this and um i really like dire straits also fun fact i just had up on wikipedia here that i didn't know this and maybe you guys maybe one of you guys did but apparently there were other songs that were recorded that were written by dire straits during this time that you know during these sessions that were not put on the album one of them was private dancer which was a song that they oh, eventually gave to tina turner yeah so yeah, that was written by mark that. knopfler so um it's- yeah, I didn't know that. So uh, I mean, it kind of sounds like some of the songs on this come to. Th- I I would have never intuitively gotten there, but when I think yeah. about what the sound of it is, it does sonically sort of fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I, you're Matt. You're just more comfortable in in kind of the space of of jamming, jamming yes. out, and I guess so. And that's kind of the other side of the coin to prog for me is it's like jamming out in a different way in prog rock and either one. I'm like, just get on with it for the most part. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus, Josh. (laughs) Well, and, and I was, I was here for telegraph ruin as dire streets attempt at it, but a whole album of it was, I think it was a little bit overkill for me. I think it would have worked better in the context of an album with some of dire streets more, traditional sound i don't know I industrial guess, but... industrial disease and love over gold are just longer songs that just have many choruses. you know just i don't i don't know if they extend industrial disease certainly that's the most like a song that would yeah. have been on another dire straits album i i agree with you on that yeah which i think is why i liked it best yeah. on the album right. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's the shortest one john at five minutes and 50 seconds on yeah Amazon i don't music, think <laughs> it's the most popular song on this album so hmm. yeah interesting is, oh, on, on, uh, on, I'm sorry, where was that, Josh? On Amazon. On Amazon? bar chart shows industrial disease as the most popular listen. Oh, it probably is on, it probably is on um, Spotify as well. No, it's number four out of five on this album. Oh, there Telegraph you go. Telegraph Road is one. Private Investigations Private investigation. is two. Okay. Lover, Love Over Gold is three. And Industrial wow. Disease is so, four. So uh, Amazon yeah. listeners are a little different than Spotify listeners, yeah, I guess. have more Dire Straits fans on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Or casual listeners, not, <laughs> yeah. not completists. How do like you Matt. casually come into industrial disease? Tell me, yeah. tell me that. <laughs> I'd never even heard of Telegraph Road before this album. Oh yeah, this no, I've loved so. that. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I have a funny story with that. I remember I came home. I was with my brother. We we were out somewhere late late, late one night, and so we got to his place and we're about ready to go to bed. I'm like, ah, let's play some. I just want to play one song. Let's just hang out, play a song. And I put on Telegraph Road. He goes, dude, you can't do that. He goes, wait, wait, I just want to put on one song. Hang on. And he goes, and he gets thick as a brick. That's like my buddy Jeff, who to troll people would go into the jukebox and always play CCRs. I heard it through the grade five. Oh yeah. I'm that guy too. I love that. Get your money's worth, John. You know, if I'm going to pay 50 cents, I don't want to just, my song to be over in two and a half minutes. I remember saying to him, I'm not going to defend you because I hate you for doing this too. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's all right i love you jeff i would do the same thing gotcha okay well two down four to go after that set of stories right there we are now at album number three in which josh is going to be our leadoff man but matt is going to run the numbers first all right 
Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five with The Message comes in at number 559 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 62 in 1982, number 3613 of all time. It is uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. Did not make Rolling Stones list. They come in at number uh, 2,543 of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. And John, is this a, this got to be a 1,001 album we need to hear before we die. No, this is a John no? pick because oh, I is... felt like we needed to have some wow. representation of early history. Of yeah. Early yeah. Yep. So okay. All right. This uh-huh. was a John, a John editorial decision for context, shall we yeah. say. Yes. Yeah. For the learning. And I approve of of the pick for that reason. This, more than any other album that I can think of, shows the transition into rap and hip hop in a way that that few albums do. This is not fully rap. They're not rapping all of the time. It's very much. No, uh, it's like an R and B album at times. Yes, R and B soul funk album most of the time, and and sometimes they use samples, or sometimes Grandmaster Flash is on the ones and twos and they come in with different verses but oftentimes it feels like a a dance album which is ultimately kind of where hip-hop started in in clubs and dance halls and uh roller rinks yes and uh you know apartments even house parties Mm -hmm. and things like that yep street fests yeah i mean everyone will know uh the message which is far and away the most popular song on here uh it's it's kind of a classic uh, classic rhythm track that's been taken by Puff Daddy and and other people and um, so you would recognize that off the bat. But the rest of the album was pretty new to me. I, I definitely listened to this at some point along the way when I was getting into rap and kind of going through all the early stuff, um, trying to get a, a lay of the land. But I don't remember anything about it, and it's it's pretty entertaining. Uh, it's it's funky it's danceable it's uh the rapping is kind of the traditional uh old school rapping that you would think of it's a bit slower maybe not as lyrically um fun or clever although there is some there is some funny uh lines in this album and um i also like when they uh uh, rap and harmony together like on the track gets nasty they do that um, that that's something that i think doesn't always happen today in in modern rap um, that also takes a tom tom club sample which we've heard time and again my um, god is that any sample used more than <laughs> that tom, genius of love i mean yeah. I, it's in everything it's yeah. crazy uh scorpio the third track has a it's all robotic voice or like synthesized voice um on the sample and uh the other thing that is good on this is the uh, kind of call and response that they have um throughout uh, especially on a track like it's a shame so you really get an early flavor of of a, a nascent uh, art form um in, in this the h- most hilarious song is dreaming which seems to be a love letter to stevie wonder and i i just could not i was like blown away by kind of what it was about and uh it just kept going and they uh you know they say he's the greatest and they wonder if they'll ever meet him and it's just hilarious so they're as big a fan of stevie wonder as you guys are not a big fan yeah yeah, really (laughs) they they really love stevie wonder in a way that i didn't think was possible Mm. and uh 
so that was listen to that track uh this album for uh that track alone but the message is is the standout for me it's uh the epitome of social commentary uh on a rap song and the importance of that and it gets pretty dark i was reading the lyrics as i was listening oh yeah um, melly mel's verse the last one is super dark Yeah. yeah he's talking about uh you know killing yourself in prison after being raped and like becoming you know a stick-up boy and then and going to prison for that and it's uh yeah dark male stuff. prostitutes in there <laughs> <Yeah>. as well yeah <laughs> yeah drugs uh, all the kind of classic things that would later become uh romanticized and and hyped up in you know 90s and 2000s rap that uh that is the dark side and is not good on this out al- on this album you know, not a good thing on this uh, track. So it's fun. They don't really, I mean, they don't really have, they kind of split up Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. They kind of separate ways. They don't really do another album together. Um, They do do White Lines though, which is an awesome song about cooking. Yeah, and I thought that was going to be on this album. And then I saw, no, it's a Melly Mel like single, right? And and I think they had some beef too after a while, Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel. They sure did. And, uh, pretty famously classic uh rap beef and um so man if that song was on here that would have been awesome but uh yeah i think it's important i think it's one of those albums that is important to to listen to and and to know but you don't have to completely love it i didn't completely love it but i i appreciate it for what it was and i feel like it's a good um it's good to have that understanding especially when rap is you know, it's kind of relatively new in the history of music, so you can you can do a pretty comprehensive um, study of it and and kind of listen to all the important albums and and uh, you know get the timeline of how things are uh, in the art form. And this is a an early uh, important album, so thumbs up for that respect. Yeah, it's it's important to like I'm going to give my my take on this as like sort of bits like commentary, but it's important in the context, right? The the hip hop world at this point, there aren't really people recording albums, right? Like mm-hmm. Sugar Hill Gang has the first like track, right? Single, that's released, yeah. which it, I mean, it was kind of like a race to see who was going to be first and they do Rapper's Delight, right? And that's I think 79 maybe. And then mm-hmm. I believe yeah. Curtis Blow is the first guy. Check out Breaks. Curtis Blow if you haven't yeah. heard him. I, that's mm-hmm. an awesome album, The Breaks. But he... um I remember I had to source the the innovators thing that was awesome. That was like you know that African Bayabada and stuff were in it. But um, for context though, this is still two years ahead of where like of Run DMC's first album. This yep. is like four years ahead of LL Cool J and um, Big Daddy Kane and stuff. And I want to point out because kind of got lost with stuff. Like hip hop was a New York innovation, and like I think that gets lost. Because it's like hip hop's universal. Well, it is, but like hip hop, like came from New York City, and this is a New York City album. This is an album talking about New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, early hip hop also was extremely socially conscious, which is all over this album. Even the dark tales are not told as like voyeuristic or almost romanticizing that type life. At no point when they're singing about like urban life in difficult ways are they sort of saying you should aspire to do this it's more like a documentary film to some degree i would say uh there's also a lot of like love and positivity on tracks in this you know um so i want to say that lyrically 
is there. Yeah, that, that Melly Mel verse is one of the best lyrics of all of his second verse. Is one of the best uh, verses, right, in all of probably hip-hop ever, but early hip-hop certainly. Because yeah, it wait, which, which, track, which track are you talking about? This would be The Message, because that's On the, the big one that people would know. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the last track. It's basically where he talks about, like, a young guy who gets caught up in the life, right? Like, the story, it's basically the story that's become, like, a hip-hop cliche, but, like, it was, even, like, lines in this track, you know, that are, the cliche is, like, I got my hand on my gun because you got me on the run, which, like, has been repurposed, like, 7,000 times, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is the first time that, like, that's really dropped, you know, in a line, so there's a lot of stuff just being brought up. I'd also like to, to point out that this is like a fantastic album cover. It's like almost comically awesome. as like a depiction of yeah. between outfits and the poses and there's a gigantic boom box and there's people just posing in the middle of like a New York City crosswalk. It's like, if you were to try to picture early New York City hip hop, like it would be what that looks like. It's like sort of disco refugees with a harder edge, I guess would be. And bucket hats are there yeah. as like what LL Cool J I think would popularize a little bit later. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I would say that outside of the message which people could be familiar with, I think She's Fresh and Scorpio are probably my two favorites. Scorpio is an interesting sort of disco bass track, which is where a lot of these samples are coming from is the disco era, um, along with, Tom Tom Club, which I feel like was just ripe for samples. But yeah, it, it, this is an album that I both enjoyed, but also ha almost has to be listened to because you really, to trace hip hop's roots, like we're going to try to do, and we're going to do a ton, especially as we get to like the 90s and those, right? Like we're hip hop's all over. And probably by 2010, it's going to be the primary genre we're going to be covering, right? Mm -hmm. Um it's kind of, I think it's important to kind of see the, the proto elements of it. And in the same way that like Buddy Holly or like, you know, Elvis would be it for rock. I feel like that's where we're at right now with hip hop, where it's yep. a New York based thing, where it's primarily the, the, um, the headliners, the DJ at this era. And if yep. you get somebody to rap on your record, great. But it's really the DJ is the guy that brings people into, into the, the arena, which is something it's that kind of got yeah, lost, basically. yeah, kind of got yeah. lost by the end of the '80s. But if you think of the '80s, right, you know, you with Run DMC, you know, their DJs right there, DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, right, Spinderella for Salt and Peppa, uh, Eric B and Rakim, right, like Eric B's the DJ, right. It's all these mm -hmm. acts. The DJ is right there, and then by the time the '90s comes, I mean, you've got the beat makers, right, like the Dr. Dre's and stuff, but they've largely kind of been repurposed as either behind the scenes guys, or yep. they also have to have like a rap profile, right? I mean, even Kanye West, right? He, he would have been, a, he started off kind of as a beat maker, almost like in the role of a DJ, right? Yep. Before he mm -hmm. became so, and I mean, he's kind of the last guy I can remember who kind of was a beat maker before blowing up as a hip-hop guy now you kind of just are a, a rapper right or a performer and um, so i do want to mention that that this is still the era of the dj as almost having primacy um in the in the craft in the genre or at least you know by the mid to late 80s that there's e equality between the yeah, two parts that's a good point so. mm -hmm. what do you think matt yeah, so I like this, um, and it's. I obviously knew the message. I I remember I said that last week. Oh, the message! I I know that song, and I only said that because like I knew the 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 term the message. I'm like I know what that is. I didn't know what the what the beat was or what the. You yeah. know, and then as soon as I heard, it, I was like, oh yeah, it's this one. It's the, it's and uh, and that to me, I mean, 
what a great <laughs> i mean especially like on c- 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 uh, contrasted against all the other songs on here it's just like yeah this is a different level here um there's this is a this album overall is a mixed bag right and you guys kind of touched on some of those things um you know i i what i thought the entire album would be you know kind of a rap hip-hop based uh, kind of thing i wasn't i wasn't expecting the more r&b soul type songs that you were getting here um and so those were not I'm with you guys. Those were not my favorite. Dreamin' made me laugh. I mean, that's basically like yeah. <laughs> that. That reminded me of like the girl is mine. Only it's about Stevie Wonder, and it's like I'm trying to go like, is this tongue in cheek? And at some parts, it's like yeah. In other parts, I'm like, I think they really, 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 really love Stevie Wonder. Like you know, and sometimes you're like maybe just more than an artist, you know, um, <laughs> which uh, which was kind of funny. It's just the way that they were kind of Stevie. You're just so great. Like you know, it's just it's 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 comical. Yeah, so. they're like super fans or something. Yeah, big time. And actually. <laughs> yeah, they- I'm almost sound at, like Michael Jackson, like Child Best Wonder, you know? That's yeah. what I'm saying. It was like, it reminded me of The Girl Is Mine, you know, the like the breakdown of the Michael, oh, you know, Paul, it's my girl. She's a, you know, um, so it's very much in that vein. And actually Stevie Wonder's credit, I got a writing credit here with It's a Shame. So somehow he was involved. Well, with, it's one of his sample beats. there. Yeah. So, yeah, sample, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I really like, so obviously I knew the message really liked that song. That's just, and it's like, yeah, there's a reason why that sampled. It's, it sounds great here. It sounds great when it's been, I think Ice Cube did it as well, you yeah. know, use it as well um, before Puff Daddy. But uh, um, I really like Cheese Fresh. That's got a real, that, that was a good mix of like the hip hop with kind of like, that's like a Sly and the Family Stone guitar lick that's going on in the background yep. there. I thought the same um, thing. Yep. And uh, so I really, I thought that was a strong opener. Um, it's nasty. I recognize that beat. I didn't know that was a Tom Tom Club thing. So while you guys were talking, I pulled up and I was like, "Yeah, I've never heard that Tom Tom <laughs> you, Club." You song. never what? heard? How could you have never heard that beat before? I well, no, I've heard the beat before. I didn't know it was from Tom Tom Club, and I didn't. Oh, I know okay, I, when gotcha. I, when you guys said okay. the name of the song, and I pulled it up, I was like. Yeah, I mean, I know the beat, but like, I was, was did Mariah Carey do that? That's yeah. I was yes. thinking yes. Mariah Carey when I heard fantasy that. Okay. and yes. fantasy remix, yeah. so. right? So that's what I thought of. That's where I went. But and so when I heard it here, I was like, oh, they they started it, and then you guys were like, no, it was Tom Tom Club, and I'm like, jeez, <laughs> I don't freaking know anything. So, uh, you know, so you know I really Tom like, Tom Club is, don't you? Yeah, know? it's the uh, okay. it's the, the the Talking Heads uh, married Side couple project. there. Yeah, right, right. Um, so uh, which makes sense because I remember you you mentioning John that they were very much them and Blondie very much into like you know the understanding the that the forward yeah the the progression that music's going to go in this direction so um i gotta disagree with you john scorpio annoyed me um i i that was a that was the most 80s sounding song on here i thought with the it's almost like that it's like break dancing you know it's like that's you know i'm sure that's what people are break dancing to but the 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 robot voice got to me i was like the whole song the robot voice was was you have to imagine people breaking Um, like that's kind of like impossible to not think of like people, <laughs> right. you know, like doing like, you know, yes. complex. And that's what it just, it was a good vibe for me. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, and I get that, but like, as a dude, just just like, you know, out walking his dog, listening to this, I was like, okay, that's enough. I've, I've, I've had enough of the robot voice. Um, so that was a bit much. Um, it's a shame was, yeah. And, and that's the other thing too, I'm picking up on here is like, there's definitely, and I'm by obviously no means a rap, you know, uh, aficionado, but the, the raps, the, 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 the lyrics here, the not just the lyrics, but the flow is very rudimentary. It's very basic. I mean, it kind of reminds me if you go back to just the basics of like rock and roll. Like if you just yeah. listen to some basic, you know, a Little Richard or a Buddy Holly type song. It's just it's it's the foundational stuff, which is still real. It's still good, but like if you if you grew up listening to the more advanced versions of that, and then yes. you come back to this, you're probably going to be nonplussed, right? You're probably just going to be like, that's that. 
that guy's not a good rapper. Like that, that rhyme was not very creative. You know, that's not very thought provoking, whatever, you know? Um, but like, you have to take it in the context of which it came out. And so really listening to this here and comparing it to what we've listened to already, in some ways, this is kind of coming out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. there's really been nothing. Okay. You got the Blondie rapture, you know, rap the fab five well, Freddy thing that we, we just talked about. I don't even know if that was in an album. We just talked about that, but like that the yeah. video. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really there. This is really just spawning a brand new genre. That was, that's really, I mean, some of the songs here, obviously R and B soul, you can kind of drift, but like the rap itself is a very unique kind of thing. So that's just, to me, well, that was the, the, a very fascinating thing thinking yeah. about listening to no, this that's album. A good point. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll disagree a little bit with you, Matt, because I think it's coming from a lot of places just being synthesized right. different. Like there's R&B. I mean, the It's a Shame is like a Stevie Wonder song. If you the positivity, it's like children are the future. You know, it's like very much like funky. I okay. think you were All right. right on, Matt, with She's Fresh sounds like a... This album, if I were to compare it to anything, and I think you nailed it, it sounds like Stand by Sly and the Family Stone, yes. just in an '80s yep. context. Yeah, right. And not the, not the, uh, not the, not the other one that we covered. I forgot that was definitely a different. There's a right. Album. Go, well, that's yeah, a, not yeah, that that's one. Totally not that one. Early Sly, yeah. early Sly, right? Yeah, and it's right. so I see like you can draw direct lines, right? And that's and when you have samples, yeah, okay. you get yeah. like clues <laughs> from where it's from where's the what's the came and it's like 70s r&b and there's a reason that like as hip-hop went on the samples were like parliament right and diana ross albums from the late 70s and early yeah. 80s because disco and funk are two of the primary areas that hip-hop comes from along with call and response spirituals right and r&b music and then sort of rapping was just an evolution um, I guess that's. I guess maybe it's more of the rapping, not yes, necessarily yeah. the music. That's what I was going to say. I think yeah. that's what you're talking about. The actual rapping part we haven't heard not, before. Yeah. Right. Part. That's and right, and that's like, new. Right, yeah. and that's yes. The beats and stuff like that are kind of generated from other places. Um, but yeah, like the idea of like I'm not going to sing this right or even speak it because speaking is something we heard before. Right. But like I'm going to do this intentional rhythm flow rhyming scheme, and it's, it's going to. I'm inventing a new way of like. Yep. of, of commu I don't that's, communicating. That is You're the novel singing, part. You know? yep. Yes. Um, yeah. Scratching too. And the, the, right. the turntables. Yeah, turn and the and that was the other thing because I'm just seeing here on, on, on Wikipedia that I didn't realize this, but the, there's an eighth track on here, The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, which um, is actually a bonus song, I think. Mm -hmm. on the, it was on the reissue or whatever in 2002. Yep. Um, it's a DJ track. Right. And it's a DJ track. And that's why I was kind of listening to that thinking, you know, this is like, this is what Girl Talk came from. You know, the, the, these DJs that just, this is what they do. They just take all these different songs because you've got yep. Rapture on there. You've got Another One Bites the Dust. You've got um, the Sugar Hill Gang, what that, the, the, that, whatever, I forget the name Rapper's of that song. Delight. Rapper's Delight's on there. And it's just like, he's, he's putting all that stuff together. So yeah, it makes sense. I see what you're saying about the DJ being, I could see the DJ being the more well, it's popular It's a very person. New York thing. It's right. a very New York thing because disco was also, the DJ was the yeah. king, right? Like and what that, they spun. And, well, especially you know, too. To this day, the, like Funkmaster Flex, right? On Hot 97 in New York is still like, he'll mm. just like on the weekends, it's like Funkmaster Flex playing his, his DJ set. You know, yeah. and you just basically, you know, you get to hear that still. It's a it's a vestige. So it's very yeah. much a part of hip hop in general, but especially like New York City hip hop. For well, sure. and especially at this time, because the rapping was such in it, it was so much in its infancy that it wasn't like this 
it was still cool but like the the the, the attraction here was the was the dj the beats and stuff you know yeah. um so uh so yeah i liked it. it's definitely mixed right um i think i think she's fresh it's nasty and the message are easily the best songs on here for me um and uh the other ones are kind of interesting i i yeah i i, I was surprised by the fact that there's R&B stuff on here, um, which, again, not my favorite thing, uh, especially, well, not R&B in and of itself, but the way that they're kind of doing it, like You Are didn't really do much for me, the slower kind of thing, but Dream, I like Dream, but I could listen to that. It's just, it just made me laugh. It was funny. And I, and the other thing too, I will say is I did pick up on the positivity. I think that that, was that You Are, where they were just like, you know, yeah, life's mm-hmm. tough, but we're all going to get through it because God loves us all. And I'm like, man, when's the last time a rapper talked like that pot? Like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe I, I don't hear a whole lot, but it's like, it's- Well, a, there's the positive- a, like the common, you know, uh, common sense. Macklemore. You know, Jurassic Five. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, that was it. Jurassic Five. Yes, because you said and, that, Josh. You said that there's a, there's the harmony, kind of the the multi people rapping, mm-hmm. and Jurassic Five definitely came up because they they and, do that a lot too, and it's kind of I like that. And like, the Beastie Boys as well. They I, I like it when they kind of somebody does a line, and then then another person jumps on with them, and then another person goes solo, and then three of them come in. So I like yeah. the back and forth nature of that. That is cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's always been a genre in hip hop, even to the modern day of consciousness rap and stuff like yep. that. Of course, it's often also mixed with things like, you know, what is it, five percenters or what's the the group like logic and stuff that always makes it very interesting because it's filtered through different stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, I think this was an important album to listen to, especially. I think it's more than just a learning album, but I do think it's important to listen to as a learning album. And we're going to get spoon fed in a good way, hip hop at a manageable level throughout the eighties so that it, it doesn't come too quick and we can't appreciate the the nuances before it becomes, you know, a staple of the podcast. So we're not, we're not doing boogie down productions. Are we? We are. Yep. Oh, we are good. Okay. Criminal minded. I think if is, you are. Oh yeah. Yep. If, if, you know, to end my final thought, if you're interested in kind of the early uh, history of hip hop, there's a really good comic book series, graphic novel series called Hip Hop Family Tree by uh, Ed Piscor, and it's multi-volume, and it basically takes you through an encyclopedia of the original, uh, of all of the early years of of hip hop, uh, all of the the major players, and in a fun kind of um, informative way, uh, through comic, you know, through comic books, uh, art. So, um, that's a good way to learn about kind of really everything, hmm. uh, and the rise of it in, in New York city. Good, good wreck there, Josh. And I believe piss core was the genre of what my band was. Uh, <laughs> <the> early... <laughs> so, yeah. so. All right. Uh, so yeah, I, I would give this one a thumbs up. I, I enjoyed this album. Um, yeah, I would too, even though there's filler on the here, but the stuff that's really good is really good. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, thumbs up for me too. Okay. From Grandmaster Flash to ABC, The Lexicon <laughs> of Love, one of my favorite album titles. I like anything you have Lexicon in the album title. So, I think I start this one, but Matt, go ahead and run the numbers first. So, Lexic- Lexicon of Love by ABC comes in at number 208 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 20 in 1982, number 1277 of all time. It is ABC's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums, not making Rolling Stones list, um, but they are ranked number 969 of all time in overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. Yeah, man. I, you know what this one is? Josh, this is a jamma is what this album is. I <laughs> oh, deeply, deeply like this wow. album. Okay. This was the um, surprise of the week for me. Um, 
this was an interesting album in that I both recognized specifically none of the songs and I felt like I recognized every song on this album because it felt like at some point or another I've heard this in some sort of movie or TV show or some environment, right? Like it, these songs are versatile enough that you could imagine them in like a like an advertisement all the way down to like a club. I, I, I guess I had no idea what to expect in this and then by by track one show me I enjoy it and then by track two poison arrow I was all in on this album it's it's definitely campy I'd say there's a new romantic vibe all over this I think it fits yeah. in that a little bit synth driven as well um it's funky um it's such an interesting pastiche of sounds um it's almost tongue in cheek at times um in terms of how it's being sung, I don't know. It just, it really was a groovy album that I, I like all the, the look of love parts, which is funny because there's, it's look of love part one and then it goes right to part, part four, four, which I I find hilarious. I love the fact that there's just a random song called Forever Together, like yes. in there. Like it's like winking. It's kind of, um, we've covered some albums that have this wink, wink, nod, nod. Queen, of course, has that in, in, in elements at times. They can't. I think um, the one album, Josh, I thought of that I was not a big fan of, but I know you loved quite a bit from the mid-70s. Um, the one, this one doesn't have as much sexual innuendo, but you know the album I'm talking about, and it's it's on the tip of my tongue. The 10CC album? The 10CC album. There you go. <laughs> um, there is elements of like kind of what that was doing in mm. this as well, okay. but I this was... This was right up there with my favorite deep discoveries. It's why I love doing this podcast because there is not a chance in hell I would have ever listened to this album if I wasn't doing... I don't even think this album would have remotely crossed my mind outside of... I might have heard like Poison Arrow, right? Or Look of Love Part 1 and just said... Yeah, Look of Love well, that's Part a 1, I knew. But. Yeah, but it's a jammy song. But I don't know if I would have... In the context, it would have probably been shown to me, explored it. But this one... Um, I could talk more about it, but yeah, this one's a thumbs up for me, man. I really enjoyed this album, and it uh, rewarded the the re-listen as well. So for huh. me, thumbs up. All right. Yeah, um, I get I'm the, with. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I get the feeling it's not the case for Josh, but we'll hear <laughs> yes. what Matt has to say. I'm with you, John. I, this was, I, yeah, I wasn't. I think the the first track, "Show Me," starts off kind of like it's like an orchestra or like a like a like a big like a big band kind of like slow entry and i'm like this is gonna be is this what this and then the album cover kind of threw me off too because it's yeah. got like this guy in a tuxedo dipping a woman in a in a in a in a dress it looks Seems like very timey yeah and it looks very like 40s you know so i'm like oh is this gonna be is this like a it's classical got, it's got you know, that like da -da 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 -da, like at the beginning yeah. like you're in like a western and right. then like this massive funk thing comes in right yeah. and then it was then it takes you in a totally different direction and uh yeah I, and from that moment i was like well that was interesting and i love this too this was very upbeat i agree it's got the funk the bit really cool upfront bass like slapping mm -hmm. plucking the bass kind of stuff going on um very it definitely sounds 80s as well i was see i was hearing duran duran and when i started hearing duran i'm like okay is this part of the the new room and you brought it up john the new romantic movement or whatever new romanticism whatever that genre is i was like i was like is that what this is and um it certainly sounds like it's in that vein and i guess i guess you know that, that that's what it is but um 
Yeah, very easy to listen to. I mean, it, you said it rewards multiple listens. Yes, but like I don't think you, you know one listen and I'm I'm there. You know, it's just very upbeat all throughout the uh, the record. And um, I like the guy's voice. He's got this high falsetto that he can hit these high kind of notes. In some ways, it gets a, yeah. Campy is a good way to put it. I was thinking dramatic, but campy is a little bit better because. You know, it's almost like they know what they're doing. They know they're kind of being somewhat ridiculous in parts, but they're okay with it because that's what they're going for. And it's um, it's just fun. Like the, you could put any one of these songs on at a wedding, and even though people probably wouldn't know the song, they could they could easily find themselves getting down to. And that's, I don't know, that to me is like a great dance track. Which I don't I don't need to know the song. I just need to be able to feel the groove and this is very catchy. So funny enough, like I put this on and I was like, yeah, I'd never heard any of these songs. I never heard of this band. Um, and, uh, and Sherry knew several of the songs here. She just, so I was like, look at you. So she's still surprising me with stuff. Cause I, you know, I, I, you know, some of the music that she's, that she's aware of that I'm not, I'm just like, yeah, I have no clue. So, um, but I, I, yeah, I really like this too. Um, and it kind of, it did kind of blend together at parts for me, but that that's not a bad thing. It's just that it, it, they, they, they hit this note and they hit it pretty well. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is a cool find. So where did this come from, John? That's one thing I didn't, I don't think we, we the talked thousand about. And one. Thousand and one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's, I, yeah, people should listen to this. It's, it's a lot of fun. I don't know, guys. I, oh. I did not have the reaction that Ooh. you did to this. Josh, album. you like to dance too. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of stunned that you didn't. Yeah, I'm kind of stunned you didn't like this. Uh, What's yeah, not to I, like? I don't know. Okay, first of all, it. You guys didn't mention it. It seems like a concept album about love in some in some respects. Yes, I mean, to some every degree, song I agree. is about yep. love in one form or fashion. Yes, it just it's like sounded the Stevie like Wonder. A, yeah. it, it sounds like a. I also agree with you, Matt. I liked the uh, lead singer. His name's Martin Fry. I I thought his voice was good, and uh, he he has some good range and uh, power behind his voice. But I I think the uh, this album just felt so uh kind of derivative of other bands that we've heard especially duran duran now it could be kind of a sliding doors thing where you know on in some other line this band could have hit it big versus duran duran i think they're all kind of treading the same ground frankie well, goes to 82. hollywood also yep. came to mind listening to this especially Wait. on a song like date stamp who else came uh, to mind i'm sorry i missed frankie that. goes to hollywood oh, okay um, so I think there, I think there was a lot of bands at this time in Britain trying to kind of do this type of music. The, obviously, it is new romantic, also inspired. I feel like there's a lot of like lounge singing a- aspect to this album. Um, I think that is part of the thing that turned me off of it, and I also just kind of got ground down by the the repeating themes of the songs and the. Uh, I don't know. Again, like the kind of the lack of uh, the lack of hooks, but I also didn't kind of get the 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 tongue in cheekness of it. I'm not sure. I felt <laughs> like they I... were. I I thought they were being pretty sincere in terms of so, what they were trying to do. Um, so I, Valentine's Day, can I read a couple things for you, Josh? If I do it, so there's uh, lip lickings, unzipping, Harpers and Queens from here to eternity without in-betweens. Okay. Uh, and then I hope you find a sucker to buy that mink stole school for scandal. Guess who's enrolled? <laughs> that's, I don't okay, know. That's well, pretty firmly tongue in cheek on Valentine's yeah. Day. I yeah. guess for with the song title, like forever together, that's also, um, 
humorous. So I, I didn't pay attention to the lyrics that much. Probably should have uh, on this album. There's also in that uh, I stuck a marriage proposal in the waste disposal. If that's the trash aesthetic, I'd suggest that we forget it. That was also <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> All right. So it's rising a little bit in my estimation now. But uh, I think... There wasn't enough variety on here for me. I think the repeating mm. themes and kind of the the structure of the songs and the fact that he was the only one singing uh, kind of wore me down or kind of made me lose interest about halfway through. I did know the Look of Love song part one, which is the sixth track on the album. I think that was the, probably their most popular song. I didn't know any of the other ones. Poison Arrow was pretty decent. Um, that has a good dance beat. And there's a drum machine in that, but um, yeah, something something about this this one just didn't stick with me. Um, you, didn't, wow. you didn't find you didn't think there were any hooks here. I don't know. I just I just maybe the songs all ran together, but there was nothing that kind of stood out that was like, I, okay, I need to listen I, to this again. Yeah, I can see that. I I, I see what you're saying because it kind of that's what I was saying. It kind of does run together, but like I just like what they do so well that like mm. it doesn't it does it's it's one theme after the other. But I I don't know. I felt like there were good there were hooks. All I don't know. It was very catchy to me. Yeah, yeah. me too. I, the bass lines and the lyrics alone are worth the price of admission for me. And then you throw in that I like the sort of the vamping nature of the lyrics. Mm. Um, you know, when you can write lyrics like two's a party, three's a crowd, I'm surprised what gets allowed. That's, I mean, <laughs> you, you've got me hooked when you're writing stuff like that. That That's the funny because, yeah, I was just well, constantly laughing at some of the lyrics. And I like the production. Like, I like the sound of the guitar. Like, it definitely has like a, like a, I agree. A, yep. a, a crisp guitar uh, kind of production. It, it's it, like I said, it's, it's definitely eighties, but it does, it does evoke those sounds from a band like Duran Duran or from, I don't know, a pop or, you know, a more pop oriented eighties, you know, new wave act even at times. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just fun. It was a surprise. I was just like, man, one after the other, boom, 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 upbeat, funky, uh, danceable and catchy. So yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, uh, I'm just going to be in the minority on this, this one. Yeah. I, I give, this is a big thumbs up for me too. I, I enjoyed this one. Um, I would say if you like funk and if you like some of the albums we talked about before, um, it, it, as Matt said, and he's right, there's a genre, it's kind of the new romantic, but there's a genre of British pop that later like Wham and like Kajagugu and stuff are in mm-hmm. that also yes. kind of resi- uh, this is sort of leading to as well. So um, if you like those types of bands, I think you might find an aesthetic in this as well that you'll like but yeah i I think it's a thumbs up for me it is kind of blue-eyed soul as well a little bit i would say Mm. um i got that vibe too okay there we go now album five of six another springsteen cut we're going back in time though yeah we are yeah this is yeah we're going to talk about this second because our 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 cold listens are still in 82 and our regular listens are now in 84 so we're we're gonna have to we'll do some remedying with that we'll we'll try to catch up a little bit but anyway this is bruce springsteen's nebraska coming in at number 41 in the 1980s on best ever albums number five in 1982 number 332 of all time it's springsteen's fourth highest rated album behind born in the usa at number three 
Darkness on the Edge of Town at number two, and Born to Run at number one. We've covered all of those. Um, I think this also represents the last time we talk about Springsteen. So uh, so get your fix in here, John. Do all your impressions. Get them all ready, because this is the last one. Um, Springsteen, again, comes in at number 19 of all-time artists on Best Ever Albums. And this is the only album we're covering tonight, fellas, that came in on Rolling Stone's list, and it, it did so at number 150. Um, so we we talked a little bit about this last week with um, Born in the USA that you know that Springsteen basically wrote the songs from this album and the ones in Born in the USA at the same mm-hmm. time, um, and just based, decided to separate them based on you know he wanted something to be more acoustic and raw and stripped down, which is what Nebraska was, and then um, the number of songs he didn't feel like were were best served by that type of sound that's when he recorded with the e street band for born in the usa and man what a different it's such a different album than what we covered last week um it's really interesting that these are songs written at the same time because that you know as we talked about born in the usa is being much more produced and bombastic and poppy and this is like this is melancholy and yes. depressing and and raw and and stark and you know it's just a you know springsteen and a guitar and a occasional harmonica and very little frills i think he just did all this on a four track that's what they say he recorded this on a four track in his bedroom um so it's a unique album i i I do like it it's not my favorite i like springsteen loud and rocking out and that's where i think he really shines but i think that this is a cool little departure from that it's um and the more i listened to it the more i liked it I, i do like the first half better i would say um, mm-hmm. I think Atlantic for me, Atlantic City is the best song on here musically, anyway. Um, you know, and I just I've I've always loved the way that that guitar kind of comes in with the harmonica. Um, I like the chorus, and um, he, he does like I, I just love Springsteen's voice on it. Just such a cool and it's such a cool chorus. You know, the the the, the lyrics on that I really do like. Um, I will say that earlier in the week when I had this on, I didn't. I didn't give this a lot of intent listens, oddly enough, which I probably should have. Um, it was kind of a little bit more. I put it on as I was doing the dishes or at work or whatever, and um, and it didn't resonate as much. But then just like earlier today, I just had I put on like let me just put it on my headphones and just like try to focus more on it. And it 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 definitely was a much better listening experience, which of course makes sense for this. But a song like Highway Patrolman. Um, which I, you know, I, I didn't really pay much mind to that when I was just listening to in the background, much better song when I was like really giving it its due, uh, its mm-hmm. due time. Um, you know, uh, really liked my father's house, very similar to that. Um, you know, uh, so there's not many does. I think state trooper might be the song. I, I don't like him yelping like in that, that's just, I, I don't know that like towards the end of that, that kind of threw me off a little bit, but, um, mansion on the Hills, a pretty song. Johnny 99 is a cool little riff riff song going on there. Um, mm-hmm. so just kind of a unique album for Springsteen. I like it when, when artists depart, um, uh, even though it might not be Springsteen at his best for me, I just, it, it's showing a different side of him, uh, you know, sonically, at least I, I think, I, th- I think lyrically there's still a lot of like the blue collar kind of you know d- down and down and out down and sure. you know uh, out of luck and whatnot um you know maybe a little bit more with the 
maybe a little bit more with the theme of like the outlaw, like in murdering people. That's a little, that might be a little bit of a different uh, take on things for him. But, uh, but I do, I, I, yeah, I like it. And it's, you know, it's, it's in some ways it's him doing his Dylan thing, you know, doing the early Dylan thing, which I love Dylan. So I'm okay with that. And I like acoustic folk music and that's kind of what you're getting like the, the folk Americana mm -hmm. uh, singer songwriter album is what this is. So, yeah. uh, so I'm thumbs up on this. It's, uh, it's definitely different. It's not where I would, if somebody wanted to get into Springsteen, this is a this is a deeper cut. Um, this is not what he's known for, um, or like I said, my favorite. But uh, it's a nice little palate cleanser, something different, something uh, you know, a little off the beaten path for him, and uh, and really solid. You know, still good songwriting. So uh, thumbs up for me. Can you imagine any of these songs on Born to Run? I sure yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty different, right? Yeah. Here's my hot take this week: Is Bruce Springsteen better on acoustic than he is? with all of the bells and no. whistles behind them no <laughs> okay well that we can argue that for a long time <laughs> but the uh i really like this album i've kind of always really liked it i think he works really well as an acoustic artist you know maybe it maybe it wouldn't work as well if he always did it this way but this seems like a it's a fun kind of departure from what you're used to in springsteen um i think his his uh voice and his aesthetic really work well with this type of music i mean he's mm. he's sticking to his storytelling um that's apparent on this especially on well every song is is a story pretty much and and the blue collar nature the kind of uh, down and out uh dust bowl mid midwest yeah. americana old time almost like 40s a depression era stories country inflected or country tinged music that all works really well on here and um his voice is really great in telling these stories uh, i agree matt the songs are like kind of very sad and melancholy a little nostalgic which is no he's no stranger to in, in his music um i really like the harmonica on mm -hmm. here that comes a lot uh come makes an appearance a lot you know often at the start or even at the end uh, throughout the songs the um uh, they're simple guitar chords but done well uh, i like when he yells and makes those sounds in the like songs yeah. at the end and uh it, it just kind of really uh captures kind of uh a time and place really well on this album uh, it may be kind of a a fantasy time and place of some uh unrealistic version of america but uh it it kind of made me you know it's kind of a romanticized version of that period of america but uh you know i i kind of bought it hook line and sinker and i kind of go along for the ride and really like it uh the the first song nebraska sounds like the plot of badlands i don't know if you guys have seen that terrence malick it's, movie i think it is no, it's kind in of, cold blood man it's, oh, it's oh, the story okay. of those murders. Yeah, gotcha. that's why it's okay. called Nebraska. Okay, well, that makes sense. It's also similar to the movie Badlands, so check that out if you haven't seen it. Um, but Isn't that about those murders? It, I think it might be loosely based on that. Yeah. Uh, stars Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Um, that, may, that would make sense uh, if it was based on that, but I'll have to clean that stack for next week. And... Um, I don't know. I just kind of like the vibe of this album. I could see the argument that the songs all sound the same after a certain point. If you're, if you're 
listening to the album the whole way through, but uh, I think there's enough variety here or differences in either what he's singing about or kind of what feeling he's bringing to each song that that works for me. I agree, Matt. I think the first side is quite a bit stronger than the second side. Although to be fair, the first side technically is six songs and the last is four. So it is lopsided in terms of time. But um, I think you've got, I mean, there's not really a bad song on the first six. So from Nebraska all the way through State Trooper. And um, I, agree I wouldn't too. say that there's a bad, I mean, I, I don't think there's a bad song, period. Um, yeah. I just think they're yeah. better probably up front. Yep. Yeah, I think Atlantic City, well, Nebraska, Atlantic City, or Johnny 99 are probably my, my standout yeah. tracks on, on this album. But um, this is one of those albums, like you said, Matt, that's when when you first start listening to Springsteen, this is kind of like the next step if you haven't heard it before, and it kind of like opens opens him up away, in a way that uh, you might not be familiar with if you only heard like Born to Run or something. Yeah, and this is, even for Springsteen fans, like there's probably plenty of Springsteen fans that don't like this. That this, yeah. you know, this isn't what I, you know, but this is probably for the people that kind of want to explore a little bit more. You, you know, what else has he got? You know, if that's, uh, yeah, this would definitely do that. Not surprised this is on the Rolling Stone list, but I've always had yeah. a, a soft spot for this album. And this is the only album this week that I was actually familiar with too. Mm. So maybe that is... Uh, affecting my review, but I, I really like this album. Yeah, I find this a very interesting album. Um, I don't know if the genre itself, like, stri- I, I think I read one time that these are basically demos that Bruce mm. Springsteen did, right? Is that the, the concept? I mean, he basically, yeah, well, yeah, because he like just. He would write he, songs like this and then he turned them into Bruce Springsteen songs, right? And for this one, right. it's just like, all right, I'm just going to write them. Well, yeah, he, them, recorded, right? he recorded them on a four track. He tried some of these with the band, you know, and then realized that him and Landau, the producer and manager, decided right. these are these are way better as they as the, as you recorded them at your in your bedroom. So just leave it like that. So, yeah, essentially, they are kind of demos like that, John, yeah. Yeah, this is a fascinating album because Bruce Springsteen usually writes such personal songs that seem tied to his own experience, I think, to some degree. And in this, he's doing much more of a bystander mm-hmm. as a lyricist. I actually, I think this is by far the best Springsteen album lyrically. Um, I I say, and, and Springsteen's got some, I make fun of him a lot, but he's got some gems in his other stuff, but it's mixed with you have to do a lot of the eye roll too. This he plays it dead straight here yep. on these albums. I I think Nebraska is a pretty fantastic song lyrically, and I I know that one's about the in cold blood murders, um, the Truman Capote book. If you have read it, Atlantic City is also based on a true story. It's a very New Jersey song, like about organized crime and sort of union bosses and stuff. It's it's like about where a world that Bruce Springsteen's going to know in the same way I do without being in it, right? You just kind of, if you grow up in New Jersey, you sort of know that world exists. And it's about the idea of Atlantic City as the place you go for like a long weekend, right? And sort of an aspirational place. But there's very good songwriting on this. It's very sparse. So as mm-hmm. a result, it's it's not an album you put on at any time. Um, I was open to it when I had it here, but it's not an album I go seek out. And I think some of that is not Bruce Springsteen's fault. It's just a genre of music that is not my favorite type of music. But I I definitely think this is an album that shows Bruce Springsteen the songwriter at his best. I also find it such a fascinating album because, like I said, he's he's um, 
it's less personal. He's way more observational on this, I mentioned before, but also he's stripped down. There's none of the the fat that sometimes is in the 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 E Street Band songs. It's it's lean, mm-hmm. right? What he's doing mm-hmm. here sonically is also lyrically. Um, he's not wasting lyrics along the way. And it's just funny that after this, he'd do Born in the USA, yeah. which is such yeah. a departure. And, you know, the river is the opposite of being lean, right? It's just this huge, you know, gigantic album, yeah. right? That's I would I think I called it gratuitous when we covered it. And mm-hmm. it is this. This is not gratuitous. This is him. So, And you wonder where he was at in a headspace point of view, because we talked about how Depressed. darkness and the river and... Born in the USA are like pretty depressing in their own way. But here he's talking about sort of like, he's talking about like the evil that men do kind of in a lot of, there's Mm -hmm. a couple inspirational songs, but you know, like songs like highway patrolman, it's like a cop trying to save his brother and he can't do it. And mob, you know, mobsters, spree killers, you know, there's all these different, it's just, he has a sort of a dim view of humanity where kind of, I always take Springsteen as like, he looks at these characters, but he has sympathy for these characters, even as he's sort of passing judgment on them, I guess, or just allowing them to pass judgment on themselves. This is much more of a, like a outlaw country sort of yep. hero, like the heroes on this. So it's, it's such an interesting spot. And then for him to go to Born in the USA and go broad and pop and then later... You know, I think Tunnel of Love is a very personal album, you know, yeah. about as much it's as about divorce. Yeah, and it's like, and this just seems such a, a like um, anachronistic kind of like in his discography. So yep. I find it fascinating yeah. on on that end of things. Um, so yeah, I, I would say this one gets a, a, a thumbs up for me. Uh, am I going to say it's like my favorite work of Springsteen? No, but lyrically it probably is. I think this one, this one is like what happens if you get Springsteen writing without the the stuff that I. Don't have I said uh, Born in the USA last week was like all the stuff I like is Springsteen without, you know, the stuff that I don't like. I mean, it still had some of the hokey lyrics at times. This one sort of cuts out all of the the frills and the sentimental. I mean, this is not a sentimental album, which no. is always shocking to me because Springsteen's always sentimental and this has no yeah. sentiment. It's harsh. You're right. Um, and I think that's fascinating lyrically. Yeah. So, John, just a quick fact check. It actually isn't based on In Cold Blood, Nebraska. It isn't. No, really? it's based on the the uh, 19-year-old killer Charles Starkweather and his 14-year-old girlfriend, Carol Ann Fugit, which but isn't the that movie what In Cold Blood's is based about? on. No. Isn't that what In Cold Blood's about? In or Cold is Blood's about murder? two guys. Um, yeah, different murders. Uh, different, different murders. Not oh, in sorry. Nebraska, too, I think. But, um, yeah, actually, not only Badlands, but Natural Born Killers is based on on oh, that sorry. story so but I no i can so totally i can yeah. totally get why you would think that there's definitely similarities there and obviously murders involved so um we'll go yeah, back to josh's commentary he was right <laughs> along the way well and it's interesting Ter- you, go ahead terrence malick didn't he he did that movie that i love that everybody else hated in the, the thin red line right no the something of life days uh, of heaven Oh, no, didn't he Tree do, of Life? I love The Tree, Tree of Life. Life. Yeah, yeah, I love that great. movie, but a lot of people hated that movie, but I, I can, really enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting you say that, that you're bringing up a good point about op, the observational Springsteen as opposed mm-hmm. to the, the narrative, you know, first person. And that's that's a very much, that was like a Dylan trait as well. I remember you commenting oh, yeah. like a lot of Dylan stuff is very much like not personalized. It's just him 
viewing the world around him and so there's that there's a connection there as well so for sure this is the most dylan springsteen oh yeah by quite a bit. oh yeah it's hard not to think of that i mean i'm sure that that was part of i don't know if that was on his mind though because like i said i think I mean, woody like, guthrie was also was woody got yes yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah that's a good that's a very good point yep for sure yeah interest this is such an interesting counterpoint to born in the usa since they're all kind of written at the same time yeah songs. it's like yeah and yeah and then he, and then he thought of putting it out as like a double album like yeah. you know what i mean like it's just that, it's so truly it is he so didn't different. need to do that i yeah. think yeah. he should have learned from the river yeah <laughs> so. but uh yeah i i think it's a yeah you bring up a good point john he's he's he is removed in a way in telling these songs that he is not on pretty much all of his other albums that we've discussed well, good. Yeah, that makes I, up for me whiffing on the storyline then of Nebraska. So. I think, um, and I also want to say that like some of these songs he used on, um, like he put, he brought to the band and they like, and it was called the, what is it, the Nebraska, Electric Nebraska Sessions or something like mm-hmm. that. And I think some of these songs that, that they did electric, they never released officially, but I think that, I think they're on a, his tracks, um, uh, uh, what is it, box set. Mm-hmm. perhaps so maybe i think these might be out there as rocking songs perhaps I'll, I'll i'll clean that stack because i can't i can't remember exactly what that is but there's springs that's the other thing about it. he wrote so many freaking songs around this time and he just never and that's what stevie van zandt was saying is like i can't believe like the world is gonna go through is, is gonna he, not hear these songs like he's got so yeah. much more that's that's going on but um but i think that he did release some of them through that tracks box set well there we go there's so, nothing if not a lot of um, non-album Springsteen content. My God, I don't know if there's yeah. anybody who has as much non-album content as Springsteen does. True. These guys on podcasts are crying out loud. <laughs> With Obama. <laughs> so thumbs up from all three of us, though, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like this. And uh, we, in another theme of this week, we're returning to an artist for the second time, just like we did with uh, Madness and Dire Straits, right? Uh, and this is yeah. Kate Bush. Um, our first take is going to come from Josh, but Matt, why don't you go ahead and run the numbers for us? So Kate Bush's The Dreaming comes in at number 38 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number three in 1982, number 301 of all time. It's her second highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind 1985's Hounds of Love, which is a very highly regarded record. We're going to actually, we're going to cover that in a regular segment in i don't know somewhere down the line running Um, up that hill baby running up that hill that's right uh this album did not make rolling stones list um and kate bush is ranked number 51 of all-time artists on best ever albums well guys kate bush has put me under a spell i really like this album i and i i did not uh like it at first but i felt like there was something there and i listened to it again and it was kind of like opening up to me. I really like her. I mean, this is by far, I mean, we've only listened to one Kate Bush album so far, but this is far and away different than that album. It's very experimental. I will say I can totally get, it's probably not for everyone. It's a very challenging album. Uh, There's a lot of uh, vocal and tonal shifts that she gives, which is very uh, kind of, crazy at times uh, to listen to uh it's it's interesting too she kind of layers herself over herself and sings in different registers uh, or sometimes aggressively um i really like when she when she sings high it's kind of got this hypnotic quality to me 
um, when she does it. And there's also a lot of different instruments that I think that are on this track. I would be surprised, and I didn't look into this, if rappers had not sampled from her at one point or another. I feel like there's definitely some things here that could be used in interesting ways. And uh, despite all of that, or in spite of all of that, uh, I really kind of liked a lot of the songs on here. Some of them I didn't like as much, but pretty much like every other song I thought was doing something interesting. And uh, especially when she when she goes into the high parts, like on suspended and gaffa or uh, pulling out, pull out the pin or the dreaming, which is kind of the, the title track. Uh, those all worked really well for me. Um, even the last track, get out of my house uh, also works. I feel like she's kind of doing something that's akin to Peter Gabriel in a way. She's, she's taking a lot of elements and, and kind of making them her own and incorporating them in interesting ways. There's, uh, she <laughs> sometimes like on a song like Houdini, her voice gets really aggressive and intense. And this album is intense on a lot of ways. And I think you have to be in the right mindset to appreciate it as well. I first time I listened to it, I was in a car driving and it did not work at all. But then when I kind of like sat down and listened to it, um, more intently, I, I kind of got into its wavelength and groove and liked it. Um, there's, I, I think there's <laughs> the dreaming is such an interesting song. I think she's intentionally trying to use an Australian accent. There's a didgeridoo in it. I think it's ending with some Irish and British folk kind of, uh, epilogue to it. And it's, I don't know, this album just kind of has some sort of, uh, hypnotic quality that's the word I keep coming back to I think the other key point is kind of like the drums and percussion on this album that really kind of grounds it to this beat so it's not so like out there that it that it uh kind of I don't know go the I guess what I'm trying to say is the drums and the percussion kind of ground you and and bring you back when she's kind of going out on these kind of crazy tangents and um and it's kind of got a, I don't know, tribal nature to it, the percussion does. And I think that also kind of works with her kind of ethereal quality and her voice. And I found this the most interesting album this week by far, the one I was most surprised about. And now I'm really kind of looking forward to Hounds of Love um, as a result of this. Okay, Matt, thoughts? I thought it was you. Then, then I'll let you go. Then I'll go there. <laughs> um, yeah, this album is freaking awesome. Um, I, it, it's def this. So this is much more of a prog album than Dire Straits. I mean, when I think of prog, there's this is way more arty. It's way more that it's changing. You know, the key sig- the time signatures changing. Uh, you know, sounds. Uh, you know, go just going in so many different directions, and so that's. I mean that this to me is a much more when I think of prog, you know, music or prog pop or prog whatever you want to call it. This that this is fitting that bill a lot more for me. Um, I will say, Matt, it kind of to that point though. It mm. it feels totally her, like her thing, not like a a band necessarily of of different yeah, people but, all contributing. But it's it. 
I, I don't know. I just think a prog is kind of a more collaborative thing. This feels like no, I, solely I, her. Yeah, I, I don't need it to, to be collaborative. I'm looking okay. at just what is the song doing? What direction is it going into? What's yeah. the time? Time signature is a big thing, too, like weird time signatures and stuff. And I mean, just right off the bat with Sat in Your Lap, it's got this piano and going against the drums, which is just a non-traditional uh, beat rhythm um, yeah. and 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 style that's going on there, and it's really freaking cool, and it just uh, sets the stage for what's to come. Um, I, it's also interesting. I'm hearing a lot of like, there goes a tenor. I mean, gosh, this this I, I don't. I'm not a huge fan or really know a ton of Saint Vincent stuff, but God, that sounds like a Saint Vincent song. You know, the she. Mm. I'm, I'm sure that Kate Bush was a major influence on <laughs> on, 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 on Saint I mean, Vincent, like Regina Spector, um, like all of these different. I also got uh, PJ Harvey for sure, like the dreaming was very much like a pj harvey sounding song so um and so i and i do like pj pj harvey a lot um and uh i knew suspended in graffa actually that was I, i'm listening to that. I'm like this sounds familiar and i didn't realize that this was a cover that this band Ra Ra riot an indie band from syracuse i have their couple of their albums and so they they covered that on mm their debut album the room line and i was like man that's i didn't know i thought that was their song so uh, i'm sure that kate bush has other songs like that that um you know maybe i've heard before other people do it but it's actually yeah. it's 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 actually her um really 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 liked leave it open and the dreaming i like those those that one two punch of those two songs there it's just it it does that cool thing she does this a couple of times in the album where that they they have the structure of the song kind of coming in and then it builds a little bit and then the drums kick in at the end and it's just badass it's, it's just very really... like hard drums on that song yeah and so by yeah. when the time that that's coming in i'm like oh i'm feeling that man that's right there um and the the closing track get out of my house has just a really really cool guitar part it's so unique it's so different it's so it's it's just it's 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 just her, you know, and it's um and I didn't know really any of this. Um I, I wouldn't say that I'm in love with everything on here. I think um I think that overall every song is good. I think like the maybe all the love or Houdini that they're kind of a little bit slowed down. They're still good, but they're not they don't take me to the level that some of these other songs do. Mm. Um Pull Out the Pins a cool song. It, yeah, it's just Gosh, this I, I need to listen to this album. I listened to this album a bunch of times. I liked it the more I listened to it, and I need to listen to this more because there's so much going on here. This is really arty stuff. This is uh, so different, but just yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, and if and if Hounds of Love is better than this, I can't wait for Hounds of Love. So I'm thumbs up on this. Well, I'm glad you guys are on the Kate Bush train. I kind of told you guys to jump on the freaking train a little well, earlier. In, in but, my uh, defense, in yeah. my in our, and maybe our defense, the last one was a true cold listen we, we, when we yeah. covered, uh, you know, freaking what was it, uh, the kick inside. So that was one mm -hmm. listen, and yeah. she's she should not be a cold listen, no, a true no, cold she... listen artist. I mean, you can't. I, I need to go back and listen to that record because you know I, that needs more listens. Yeah, I mean, this album. Uh, you guys didn't mention the biggest thing in this is that. This is where she discovers the synthesizer and she's doing oh, okay. all kinds of crazy stuff with the synthesizer on this like distortion of her voice, yes. like um, yes. uh, taking her voice and stretching it out sonically. Uh, the other thing about this album is this is the first album she produced. So like this is her debut as a producer. She's the oh, producer wow. of this album too. So she, I mean, when you think about that and remember, she's still a young woman at this point. I think she's. I want to, I don't want to go. I think she's around like 23 or 24 when she's doing this, if I remember correctly. Hmm. Maybe, she was born 25. in 1958. So she'd be, so this was 82, right? Yep. 
Yeah, she's so 24. She's 24. Yeah. yeah. So, Jeez. I mean, she's still a very <laughs> young woman. Um, you mentioned Peter Gabriel, um, Josh, and that's one of those seminal inf- you know, influences on her, as is Pink Floyd. I think you remember mm-hmm. we talked about she was discovered by uh, Pink Floyd, D- David Gilmore, I think, specifically, yeah. if I remember oh, really? correctly. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Um, and I, th- there's just so much interesting. I- I've always loved the song Pull Out the Pin. It's interesting sonically, and then there's that desperate, like, Wailing, yes. Repetition of that line that works so perfectly in it because it sounds like like somebody has a grenade being... Mm -hmm. I love songs that sound like the theme, right? And that sounds like pull out the pin is obviously grenade, right? Metaphorically. But uh, I think loosely this album seems to be a concept album about like the patriarchy a little bit. (laughs) And I think that's where some of the anger comes in a little bit. That that's what I'm getting from the lyrics. A little bit, but you know, Kate Bush is never going to directly take you there, right? Both sonically or lyrically. So, it, it kind of some stuff is left for you. Uh, you mentioned uh, Matt that I think it was either Josh or I can't remember who said she's speaking in different accents and voices. Like a big piece of her is she this like performance art, right? She'll take yeah. on in her mind these roles of these sense. characters, right? Which yeah. I mean, Wuthering Heights, right? Which we was the first track on. The other album we covered, which is basically her taking on, you know, one of the main characters of the novel. And that's a thing that she does all the time. So there's always an element of performance art with her. But, yeah, the synthesizer is what stood out on this to me, along with the traditional instrumentation she uses. She she builds and sells, like, a, oncoming traffic is in one thing at one point, And uh, there's just, uh, there's choices that are experimental electronic on this album i'd say there's elements of just experimental music that's on here but she she always is able to take sort of the avant-garde for me and filter it through like an oddly pop lens but you can't figure out why Mm -hmm. it's it's orally appealing a-u-r-a-l-l-l-l-y you know not Mm -hmm. o-r um but um and that's i think what her gift is it's like you're like this is such a strange cacophony of sounds and themes right and and in different hands it might even be corny or or sort of just too much but she always seems to manage to couch it in something that seems sensible um and and i i love the fact that she doesn't always sound predictable but there's an inherent element when you're hearing her that you know it's her and it's just such an interesting thing of being a trademark but also completely catching you off guard and this album's even more so than the kick inside i mean i as we've mentioned i'm a little bit more familiar with her discography so i know what we're getting in the next album as well so i won't kind of expand on it but um yeah i i think this is an interesting move forward for her and definitely um i think the takeaway here is you get a, a little bit of a look inside of her brain because she's producing as well. So mm-hmm. you're not just getting the artistic vision, you're also getting the the sonic vision mm. um, in this. And, and this is kind of where it comes together and you kind of see just how risk, like she's ballsy, you know what I mean? She's risky oh, yeah. and she's not afraid to put out stuff that could be, you know, a, a bust or a bomb, you know what I mean? Because it's so against... And she's doing what a lot of male artists are doing as a female. Can we mention that too? Because a lot of the people we've talked about as being experimental and stuff like that um, fall in like a, a art house male type thing. She's really expanding that out 
Um, and now yeah. it seems almost familiar because, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, Matt, you mentioned the greatest hits of, I mean, there's tons of people who are influenced yeah. by Kate Bush and she has an odd presence in hip hop as well at different times. I mean, I Tupac and, you know, Big Boy of Outkast are probably the two most <laughs> prominent people who stand her pretty much. I, there's a video on YouTube you could look at of like Tupac basically did his senior project at like the art school he's in in Baltimore, like Kate Bush music, which is kind of funny in its own way. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you can't listen to St. Vincent or PJ yeah. Harvey without hearing elements, not to mention any number of other experimental Bjork, female artists. Fiona Apple Gr- Gr- a little bit. Grimes, you know, Bjork. Uh, yeah. Just all kinds of people. Fiona Apple a little with the later stuff, maybe mm-hmm. not, title fiona apple but yeah when she starts making the 700 word album titles yeah and, and certain certainly her most recent album um, oh last yeah last year was absolutely something that was in this same lens so yeah i mean this is a strong record it's this or the abc album that was my favorite this week uh for different ways i i really i really enjoyed this album yeah for totally I, different reasons right for I totally mean, different yeah reasons, totally yes. different yeah yeah, because the ABC album is, is tied together by bass lines, which is a familiar thing. This isn't tied together by anything. The, well, the most common sound is the synth, but it doesn't ever do the same thing. But you can song, get the song. ABC album in one listen of the yes. first song, right? This album you need. I, I needed this was like seven, eight listens for me this week. It was just like I need to and I still need more. You know, that that's and I like that. I, the, I This is homework, but it's good homework because it's not an initial harsh listen. It's that there's plenty of things in here. If you listen to this for the first time, that go, oh, that part's cool. That's interesting. That's different. At least for me, anyway. Um, it wasn't like this daunting. T- it, I guess it can be a daunting task, but I kept wanting to come back because I was just picking out things here and there. And the more I listened to it, the more I liked it, and I just wanted to go back more. So yeah, I, I mean, to John's point, I can't think of another artist that is kind of modifying her voice in the way that she does on this album that, that well, she's like she's like this, this guttural kind of like yeah. you know? <laughs> sounds like a monster at times she goes really well, high she kind of distorts it like john was saying so i guess it's a technology yeah. in the production side as well but but i think she takes a lot of chances on this album uh, well she does it with her own voice which yeah. she's been doing for up radically and going down but yeah then she uses technology to to add sonically like ways of singing that she couldn't do on her own, yeah. but by mm-hmm. using the distortion and the the synth and the expansion of lyrics and stuff, it, it she can create like new new voices, right? That allow yeah. her to sing different types of songs that she couldn't do if she was singing a higher register. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's funny. It's some people I think find her music eerie, but I don't. There's always sort of like a underpining of like hope, kind of in her songs, hmm. but not. Like in a, you know, like they're serious songs about serious issues, but they're never in a way to me that, um, like it operates in a, in a optimistic sort of land, but definitely atmospheric too, you know, where like she'll create a setting, um, but she's always sympathetic to these characters. I think she takes on, even if the characters themselves have dark elements, so. Well, it's, I mean, sonically, that's definitely, there's some darker kind of eerie sounds going on here, you know? So it's, I mean, just, I, I, I can see that, you know? Um, And dreamlike quality. I mean, this album's called Dreaming and and she always has a dreamlike quality to her music. I I I mean, I mean, there's, there's a lot, you know, it's dramatic, you know, it's theatrical. um, Yeah. But there's a, and that's. The thing is, is an apt, 
you know, part yeah. of it. She's like the film exactly. score to whenever you say, I had the craziest dream last night. I often feel like the Kate Bush music. I think that's why it's so funny that she ended up in a dream sequence, right? In Stranger Things. Isn't that how running up the... Uh, like isn't that how that became a thing? Was I, I don't really watch. I don't know. I haven't, things. Se- I haven't the, seen that the season song yet. Is is reused? It's kind of a, a tether for this one character, I guess. She really likes that song and identifies. Yeah, with it. I don't know she, if she's she, actually. In, I haven't seen the show this season. But. I think if I remember correctly, it's like a dream scenario where it's kind of like a Freddy Krueger type thing, yeah. where like when she's mm-hmm. in a dream state, she could be harmed type deal, and. Um, I think it's like the music she uses to like get out of that world. You know how that if you woke right up, you were away from. Told me. <laughs> that's what that's how I was told. Because I asked somebody about it, that's how they described it to me. They're like, think yeah. Freddy Krueger, but instead of being woken up, like you have to like get out right with your yeah. own mind. And Kate Bush is who kind of gets her out of her mind. They put the headphones on right, and she hears it and transcends. I bet you, so. I bet you David. I bet you David Lynch is a fan too. Like that, you know that type of of Stranger Things. <laughs> no, of, of, Kate Bush. Bush, of Kate Bush. <laughs> oh, well, of Kate Bush. Like yeah. you know, just you know, <laughs> he's got his own. Uh, I forget who his muse. Julie Cruz, right? Is that the woman's name? Who? Oh yeah, he has it all of his stuff. All right, I just I'm think of like his right. his movies are like the, the the visual equivalent of her muse. You know what I mean? Just yeah, like, kind of just random stream of conscious. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Guy, yeah, another guy who likes dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. dream thinking and. Uh, also sort of like like dark landscapes you know but also with a beauty to them and a quirkiness yeah, yeah. so yeah they they have some shared sensibilities shall we say boris johnson apparently is a fan so you guys, she's got that going for her <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure she's completely nonplussed but if you ever see interviews with her she sort of resides in her own world you know what i mean where i don't think there's a lot coming in about day-to-day politics and stuff. i don't think that's where she resides doesn't you know? she I think just she not resides. give interviews i don't i don't think she's i think she's kind <laughs> of she'll like... give them to like bbc it's funny because what stands out to her is interviewers will often ask her to comment on things like in what we would consider to be the real world kind of and she does dismiss it's sort of like she always goes back to that's not the type of stuff that interests me in the way that like the sensibility of like a mm. uh, like i remember she gave one thing where she said like i wanted to be like a a male musician because you were able to do all kinds of crazy rebellious shit. And like, you could only mm. do a certain amount of rebellious stuff as a female, but it wasn't really rebellious. Cause it was like the same three things. And you were told it was rebellious, but as a guy you could do it, but she didn't say it like, and that's why I hate the Patriot. It was more right, just yeah. like, and so I'm going to kind of create these female characters that do, you know, it's, it's never said with malice, but you could tell, She's, and then if they say, well, what do you think about like this concert? You, it would just completely, you know, like not register with her. She'd be like, yeah. well, I was thinking about that esoterically, you know, like that's always the vibe I got from from her stuff, mm, you know, yeah. like kind of she resides outside of like day to day triviality. So, yeah, which is what a good artist should do. Right. They should kind yeah. of live in their own world. So, yeah. yeah All stuff. right, guys, we're going to do another cold listen hot take next week, aren't we? Yeah, we got to. Uh, yeah, we we're still in 1982. We got to do some catching up here if we're going to try to go more sequentially. So, well, for um, God's sakes, Matt, tell yeah. people what we're going to be listening to. Next well, week, all then. right, we're going to be covering Mission of Burma's versus um, a Is band it called Versus or V's. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I was looking at like I was looking at that like Pearl Jam's versus. It's V S. Capital V, lowercase S is how John has Let's it in the uh... spreadsheet here. Josh, clean that stack. Um, uh, and we're also going to be covering a band called or, or a group artist, somebody named Orange Juice with their album Rip It Up. Um, Prince, you might have heard of him before. Uh, his album 1999. 
Simple Minds, second time we're covering them as well. We covered Prince once as well already. Simple Minds, New Gold Dream, another band that we've covered before, The Cure with Pornography, and a new band, XTC, three letters, XTC, English Settlement is the name of the album. Now, the only XTC song I think I know is a song that they used to play near me that was like that song. It was like, always I want to be with you and make... I think that's XTC if I remember. I could mm. be wrong, though. We'll see. I have an XTC album from you like... Do. From like 2000 or 2000, 1999, something like that. So it's not this one. So Okay. Hmm. It's definitely versus because there's a period at the end of there you go of it. So, so. Pearl Jam inspired by Mission of Burma to mm. copy their album title. Yep, a lot of newer tracks. So I'll be interested to listen to these albums. A couple of these albums show up as I mentioned to the guys on the podcast ahead of time in best of rankings in the '80s, but they are albums I've never listened to. So mm. that's a great thing of this podcast like yeah you see it and you're like oh i'll get around and then you never do and it's like now we're gonna get around to it and hopefully there's some gems we're like well god damn why didn't i listen to that album ever before or we'll be like what the hell is the deal with this one (laughs) either one's a good conversation though so yeah prince Uh, is the only album i'm familiar with uh on this next week so i can't say i'm familiar with any of the i mean i i know the artist but i don't know the album so it'll all be new to me all right well it'll be a good cold true cold listen hot take then won't Mm -hmm. it Mm. So I think that's a, a good place to put a, a period on our sentence this week. So for Matt and Josh, this is John thanking you for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. Homing the Stacks can be found on 13 different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at combingthe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.